Thank you for listening to the weekly podcast of Community Bible Church in Savannah, Georgia. We hope you'll enjoy this sermon from our series, Great is the Lord, a study on the book of Malachi. For more information on CBC or how you can get connected, go to the website, www.cbcsavannah.com. Pray with me this morning. Father, we approach you as the one who was and who is and the one who is to come, and we come through our Savior, Jesus, who has made full atonement for us. Full atonement, can it be? It, it is true. God, would your grace just pursue us this morning? We need to hear from you. Lord, we are your people. We are redeemed by the blood of your Son, but we are we're still broken, we're still in process, and this morning we're very much in need. So God, I'm asking by your Holy Spirit that you would come and you would just speak to us, that you would address our hearts, uh, where we need to be convicted, would you convict us, where we need to be comforted, would you comfort us? But Lord, we don't want to go through religious motions, we don't want to have cold orthodoxy, we do not want to give you our leftovers, we want to meet with the great God. And so we ask by your power that you would come and meet with us um, and that you'd be glorified in our presence. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning, everybody. Welcome. Um, We are in a series in the book of Malachi called Great is the Lord. Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament. So if you're looking for it this morning, flip to the Gospel of Matthew and then go back one book. Malachi is God's last word to the people of Israel before he was silent for 400 years. And his word came to a group of people who were, um, they were going through the, the religious motions. They were giving God their leftovers. And so in, in love, God comes and he kind of lays the smack down. But, but he lays the smack down on these people in order that they might come back to him. And in order that they might see his greatness once again. So, we're continuing there. Today we'll be in chapter 2, verses 10 through 16. Chapter 2. We got any sports fans? Good. Me too. Love you guys. All right, think, think back with me, if you can, to the Super Bowl. Okay, so a few months ago that will be easy for some of you guys. For others of you, let me give you a reminder. There were 26 seconds left. Seahawks, Patriots, Seahawks are down four. They've got the ball on the Patriots' one-yard line. they got two timeouts left, second down, and they've got the best running back in football, the beast, Marshawn Lee. I heard Cliff. Cliff knows it, right? (laughs) Three tries to make it one yard. What do they do? They throw the football. And what happens? Interception, game over. Now, the following month was the month of the armchair quarterback. It didn't matter if you were an ESPN analyst or it didn't matter if you knew nothing about sports. Everybody had a complaint about that play call. Everybody had an opinion on what should have happened the last play of the game. But at the end of the day, there was really only one opinion that mattered. The head coach of the Seattle Seahawks. He's the one calling the plays. And today, in the book of Malachi, we come to a topic that 
everybody in our culture has an opinion about. We come to a topic that gets people more riled up than the Super Bowl does. Today we are talking about marriage. And just like the Super Bowl, at the end of the day, when it comes to marriage, there's only one opinion that matters. And so today, we want to see what that opinion is, and then we want to do our best to apply it to our situations. Now, before we get started, I want to give a couple qualifiers. First is this. If you're here and you are uh, single, there's going to be lots for you this morning, so don't check out on me just yet. No matter where you are, single, married, divorced, remarried, God wants to talk to you this morning. So lean in. Second thing is this. We believe that every word of God proves true. That this is faultless, perfect, completely authoritative in everything to which it speaks. So what we do at CBC, if you're new, is we go through the Bible book by book, line by line. We don't skip the hard parts. And today, we come to a hard part. For some of you guys, what we see in the book of Malachi is going to be a little bit difficult to hear. And let me just be transparent with you this morning. Some of what I say today will be difficult for me to preach. Um, I'm 30 years old. I've been married five and a half years. What do I have to tell you about marriage? Nothing. But this is the authoritative word of God. So as I speak, I'm leaning on that. And as you listen, I would encourage you to lean on the same thing. Um, that we might submit to it. And ultimately, I think what we're going to find in this passage today is that there is a gracious invitation from God to us. So God's opinion on marriage and how we need to respond. That's where we're going. Malachi chapter 2, the word of God. What an honor to have it in your lap. Here it goes. Have we not all one father? Has not one God created us? Why then are we faithless to one another, profaning the covenant of our fathers? Judah has been faithless, and abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. For Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord, which he loves, and has married the daughter of a foreign god. May the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob any descendant of the man who does this, who brings an offering to the Lord of hosts. And the second thing you do, You cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. But you say, why does he not? Because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth to whom you've been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. Did he not make them one with a portion of the Spirit in their union? And what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. So guard yourselves and your spirit, and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. For the man who does not love his wife but divorces her, says the Lord, the God of Israel, covers his garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. So guard yourselves and your spirit, and do not be faithless. Okay, right away in verse 10, we see the one opinion that matters. And here's what Malachi says. He says, have we not all one father? Has not one God created us? And and here's what he's getting at. He's saying, if God is our creator, if, if he is the one who made us, 
then surely he, he knows what's best for us. And if he is the one who has saved us and redeemed us and brought us into his family, then surely he has the authority to tell us how we ought to operate in our relationship. See, because of who he is, both as creator and redeemer, as father, he has the authority and the right to tell us how our relationships should operate. Think of it this way. Every once in a while, I'll get my little girls up in the morning, and I'll say, what do you want for breakfast? And every once in a while, they'll say, cookies or Chick-fil-A milkshakes. And they really want these things, right? They think this would be best for them. But I would not be a wise or loving dad if I gave them Chick-fil-A milkshakes for breakfast, right? Some of you guys might disagree. Um, Malachi was writing to a group of people, though, who had decided on cookies and milkshakes no matter what their father said. And here's how it plays out. We don't even get out of verse 10 before we see the problem. Here's what he says. Why then are we faithless to one another, profaning the covenant of our fathers? Judah has been faithless. An abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. And here's how. For Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord, which he loves, and has married the daughter of a foreign god. Now, kind of two, two words I want to highlight. Five times in seven verses, we see this word faithless. Faithless, faithless, over and over and over. The, the Jewish people are breaking faith with one another. And as they're breaking faith with one another in their relationships, they're profaning the name of God. They're dragging his name through the mud. Just like kids, your kids misbehaving in, in public and that reflecting poorly upon you. They didn't understand that their horizontal relationships had major vertical implications in their relationship with God. And the, the primary way in this first section that they were dragging God's name through the mud is that they were marrying foreign women who worshipped foreign gods. Now, here's what this is not about. This is not about interracial marriage. Okay, God's cool with that. And let me tell you why God is cool with that. Moses was in an interracial marriage. Boaz and Ruth were in an interracial marriage. This is not about the women. What this is about is worship. And let's go back to the law, because God's been kind of beating this same drum for a long, long time. Deuteronomy chapter 7, thousand years earlier, here's what God commands. Shall not intermarry with any of these foreign nations, giving your daughters to their sons, or taking their daughters for your sons. And then verse 4 gives us the reason. For they would turn away your sons from following me to serve other gods. This is exactly what was happening in Israel under Malachi. The, the Jewish people had disregarded God's opinion. They were marrying these foreign idol-worshiping women, and it didn't take long for them to stop worshiping the one true God and to start worshiping the gods of the surrounding nations. They were dragging God's name through the mud. And this was serious, serious stuff. Look at verse 12. Serious enough to be cut off. May the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob any descendant of the man who does this, who brings an offering to the Lord of hosts. Now, we're going to talk about why God has such a strong opinion about this in just a minute. But before we do, I want to, I want to bring it to bear on our situations. And in order to do that, we've got to understand a couple of things. Okay, so here's the first thing we need to understand. We are not under the same agreement with God as Old Testament Israel was. We are under a different covenant. Okay, let, let me explain that to you real quick. Here's their agreement with God. 
If they obeyed God and were faithful to God, God promised to bless them. If they disobeyed God and were unfaithful to God, God promised to curse them, to cut them off. Okay, Thanks be to God he does not interact with us under the same terms, right? We, we are under a different covenant with God, one that is not based on our own performance. Their, their acceptance was based on their, their performance. Our acceptance before God is not based on our performance. Because of who Jesus of Nazareth is and what he has done, he came to earth as our representative. So even though we may have been faithless, he has been faithful. And God now blesses us and accepts us who have faith in him. So our acceptance is based on Christ's performance, not ours. Now, here's what that means for relationships. No matter how jacked up your relationships have been to this point, if you are a Christian, you will never be cut off. That's good news. Okay, that being said, here's the second thing we need to understand this morning. The one true God is the one who was and who is and who is to come. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And here's what that means. It means that his expectations for marriage have not changed. Even though we are under a different covenant with him, his expectations and opinions on marriage have not changed, and his opinion is still the only opinion that matters. And here's the first thing I think he would encourage us with regarding marriage this morning. He would say this, choose a faithful spouse. Number one, choose a faithful spouse. Let me show you this is not just an Old Testament thing. 2 Corinthians chapter 6 says this. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord does Christ have with Belial? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? Here's what God's saying. He's saying, Christian, Make sure you marry another Christian. If you are a worshiper of Jesus, marry a worshiper of Jesus. And singles, I'm coming for you on this point. You are who I want to talk to. But before I get to you, I want to address a couple different groups, okay? First is this. If you're here and you're not a Christian, um, the fact that you would get up at 8.15 and come to a church service is awesome. Very, very glad you're here. Um, might sound weird to you. I think the Spirit of God has probably brought you here, whether you know it or not, this morning. And if I was in your chair and I heard some 30-year-old punk talking about this, here's what I would think. This is completely elitist. I mean, who do you Christians think you are? Don't partner righteousness with unrighteousness? I mean, you think you're important or something? You think you're special? That's what I would be thinking if I was you. Let me assure you, Christians do not think we are important, and we do not think we are righteous. In fact, let me tell you how you get into the Christian club. You you admit that you are a total screw-up. That is the way in. You admit that you have nothing on your own, and that, that you are, in fact, so sinful that God had to send his own son to take your punishment. So please don't hear this as us being superior. Please hear this as there is a holy God who is concerned with the way that his people live and worship, and he wants to be represented well. That's what this is about. This is not about us being superior. So please understand that. Um, The second group I want to address is this. Some of you guys are married, and you look back on your marriage, and you think, man, 
there was definitely a time when, when I was unequally yoked. I, I mean, I didn't even have this on my radar when I was getting married. And it's worked out all right. If that's you, worship God for his grace. I mean, how awesome that whether you didn't know about this or whether you just plain ignored it and your marriage has worked out, that is the grace of God to you. That's awesome. Praise him. Um, Third, some of you guys are here this morning and you're in a marriage with somebody who's not a Christian and it's very, very difficult. Has not worked out well to this point. Um, There are special instructions for you in the scripture. Here's what 1 Corinthians chapter 7 says. It says, if any brother has a wife who's an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. And if any husband or if any woman has a husband who's an unbeliever and, and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. And then a couple verses later, here, here's the instruction. For how do you know wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know husband, whether you will save your wife? If you are in a difficult marriage right now, married to someone who's not a Christian, hang in there. You keep loving that spouse. You keep serving that spouse. You keep praying for that spouse. And you remember this. We have a God who loves to do immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine. He is a gracious God who loves to extend his grace into difficult situations. So you stay faithful. Now, that said, if there are those of you who are in marriages and, and you're at risk or you're being harmed or threatened in that marriage, please tell somebody this morning. We want to help you walk through that. Um, just let somebody know. <laughs> Not a very smooth transition into talking to singles. Okay, <laughs> Singles, I'm coming for you now. Work, <laughs> mental note, work on that transition before next service. Um, <laughs> okay. Singles, here's my encouragement to you. High schoolers, you're not too young to listen. Lean in for me. College students, unmarried, here's my encouragement to you from the Scripture. This morning, settle it in your mind that you will only ever marry a worshiper of Jesus. Settle that in your mind today before some good-looking dude in a nice car comes along. Right? Settle it. Now, and let me tell you why. Marriage is hard enough when two people are worshiping Jesus. So here's my advice to you. You run hard after Christ. You run hard after him. You run the race of the Christian life, and you worship Jesus, and you make disciples, and you serve. And as you are running hard after Jesus, every once in a while, you, you look around to your left, and you look around to your right, and you see who's running at the same pace as you. And then you prayerfully, with wise counsel, start to move forward. And here's why I think this is good advice. First, it prevents, it prevents you from idolizing marriage. Y'all, and we live in a culture that idolizes this. And even in the church, we idolize marriage. Every, I mean, especially young women. Everything is Proverbs 31, woman. Work toward marriage, work toward marriage. One day this is going to play off in your marriage. It's not bad to desire marriage, right? A man who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. It's not good to be alone, not good for man to be alone. It's good to desire marriage. But friend, we should never desire marriage more than we desire Jesus. Never. 
Not for a second. There is no man that will ever complete you. Actually, there is one. His name is Jesus Christ. Anybody else will fall gravely short. Here's the second reason why this advice, I think, is, is good advice. It will prevent you from dating or for, from marrying for shallow reasons. Let me just talk to the guys for a minute. Fellas, physical attractiveness cannot be your primary deal. It just can't. And, and let me tell you why. I mean, no offense to the ladies here. <laughs> Save the email, send him the bill, tell him he's <laughs> starting about age 25, fellas, from the world's perspective, okay? Not from God's perspective, because godliness is hot to godly people, okay? But from the world's perspective, your woman is going to go downhill a little bit every day for the rest of her life. <laughs> she just is. I mean, let's be real. Gravity wins. It does. And, and I mean that in no mean way. <laughs> physical attractiveness cannot be number one and and for you ladies some some good-looking guy who makes a little bit of dough that cannot be your primary deal either because this church has women who are married to handsome men who live in nice houses and they are lonelier than they were when they were single that is not what you want Godliness is what you're looking for in your relationship. So today, settle it in your mind that you will choose a faithful spouse. Israel didn't do this, and I can guarantee you they regret it. That's not all that was going on. Verse 13. Here's the second thing you do. You cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning, because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. But you say, why does he not? Because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth, to whom you've been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. Okay, so the first big problem for these guys was faithlessness in who they married. The second major problem was faithlessness within their marriages. And here's what was going on. These Jewish men were leaving their God-worshiping wives for younger, foreign, idol-worshiping women. And it was such a big deal to God that he says, I'm not going to receive your worship. And we know from Ezra and Nehemiah, Ezra was probably written 30 years or so before Nehemiah, maybe 15, that this was kind of commonplace in the culture. That, that divorce had become the norm. And, and to them, it didn't seem like that big of a deal. But in verse 14, God says, it is a big deal. It's a real big deal. I remember when you fell in love. I remember when you were best friends, when she was your companion. I was a witness to your vows. It's such a big deal that I cannot accept your worship. Now, again, thanks be to God, we are not under the same covenant as these folks were. But again, God's opinion on marriage and divorce has not changed. And so let me give kind of a quick 30-second brief on a biblical summary of what the Bible teaches about divorce. Not all there is to it. If, if you want to read more, we got books we can recommend. Um, but here is generally what the Bible teaches. God's desire for struggling or broken marriages is always restoration. That's his primary desire in every situation. However, God gives a couple concessions where divorce is allowed. 
And the first one, if, if there's adultery in marriage, and it has to be, then there's an out. And then secondly, if there's abandonment by a non-Christian spouse, that's the second concession. But both of these, Jesus even says, hey, these concessions are made because of, because of the hardness of your heart. God's desire for marriage is always faith, faithfulness. And so here, here's the second thing I think he'd say to us this morning. First, choose a faithful spouse. The second would be be a faithful spouse. Be a faithful spouse. Isn't it silly when people talk about how irrelevant the Bible is or how outdated it is? We've got a culture that talks, that talks about the Bible not, not applying to today. But we're reading something written 2,500 years ago, and their culture was experiencing the exact same thing that our culture is experiencing right now. Divorce was commonplace, right? People feel more entitled to their happiness than they do to their marriage vows. It's even being celebrated now. I was in Colorado a few months ago, and there were guys having a divorce party. Like, think bachelor party, only divorce party. Celebrating divorce for their buddy. Our culture thinks it's not a very big deal. But friends, it is a big deal to God. And let me tell you why God has such a strong opinion about this. God has such a strong opinion about faithfulness in marriage because his name and his reputation are at stake. God has such a strong opinion for, about faithfulness in marriage because his name and his reputation are at stake. Let me, let me show you where I'm getting this. Look at verse 15 with me. In verse 15, Malachi gives kind of a loose quotation of Genesis 2.24, which is the first instructions about marriage in the Bible. And here's what he says. Did he not make them one with a portion of the Spirit in their union? Now, we have a great benefit on live, of, of living on this side of the cross. And, and we have more Scripture than these guys did. And we see Paul interpret this exact same verse in Ephesians chapter 5. And here's what Paul says. Shows us how marriage represents God. Quotes the verse in verse 31, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And then he explains it. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Now, here's what Paul's saying. He's saying marriage is not just about marriage. Marriage is not just about us being happy. Marriage is not just about doing what good Southerners do, right? That's not what marriage is about. Marriage is ultimately about something much bigger, something much greater. Marriage is meant to picture Jesus Christ and his love for his bride. Marriage is meant to be a movie trailer, a preview of who God is and what he's done and his love for his bride. Now, y'all know that uh, Bill Fowler is a Star Wars nut. Okay, you're hard-pressed to get through about 30 minutes of chit-chat with him without working to Star Wars. And the other day, when the Star Wars trailer comes out, he's checking to see if he got mad at that. Yeah. <laughs> the other day, when the Star Wars trailer comes out, he sends it to everybody on staff, and everybody's crowded around watching, and they're cheering, and, and they're excited. But they're not really excited about the trailer. They're excited about the movie that's coming. But imagine this. What if in that trailer there were things that didn't actually happen in the movie? What if in that trailer there were things that actually contradicted what was going to happen in the movie? It would be a horrible misrepresentation of what was coming. 
And, and friends, where there is faithlessness in marriage, where there is divorce in marriage, we misrepresent God. His name and his reputation are at stake. It's like a movie trailer gone bad. But, but his name and reputation are not just at stake now, they're at stake in the future. Okay, let me explain. Next phrase in the same verse. It says, and what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. Okay, God wants us to be faithful in our marriages because faithful marriages are the best environment and the most likely environment to raise godly kids. A faithful marriage is the best environment to raise worshipers of Jesus. Now, from the beginning, this has been God's goal, right? He makes man and woman in his own image in Genesis chapter 1. He gives them dominion over the earth, and he says, be fruitful and multiply. And what was he doing? He wanted to fill the earth with worshipers of God, right? He wanted a whole race of people who knew him and delighted in him. It's still what he wants. And the best way to do that is within a marriage with a worshiping husband and a worshiping wife. Now, here's what this doesn't mean, okay? Listen to this. Here's what this doesn't mean. This does not mean that every child of believers will believe. It does not mean that. Here's what else this doesn't mean. This does not mean that you cannot raise godly kids if, you are in a, if you're a single parent or if you're in a second or third marriage. It does not mean that for a second. Some of the most godly people in this church come from difficult family situations. Some of the most godly people on our staff come from difficult family situations. But it does mean that the way that godly offspring, that, that worshiping kids are most often accomplished is with a, a worshiping mom and a worshiping dad. You guys, God has a strong opinion about marriage because his name and reputation are at stake now and how we represent him to the world and in the future as our kids hopefully come to know him. Now, let's apply this again because that's, that's a hard teaching. And y'all, let me say this. Lean in if there's, wherever you are right now, this is just part of the scripture, okay? The next accounts of the scripture tell us of the God who came to save us. That has huge implications for whatever your situation is. So let me apply it to you right now. If you are in a marriage that is struggling, and, and there's part of you that just wants out. You know God says to be a faithful spouse, but it is difficult. I just want you to think about your Lord. I want you to take a minute to think about the way that he has loved you and the way that he has pursued you and the way that he has been faithful to you. Guys, what if Jesus had, had said, this is just too tough. They're just, this person doesn't deserve it. We would be dead in our sins. But friends, he loved a faithless bride. And he's making us beautiful over time. If you are in a struggling marriage, look to him. Remember how he has loved you. And remember that you are his representatives. Fight for your marriage. Fight for your marriage. And then let me say this to my friends here who are here who have been divorced. Some of you guys live your life with just guilt and shame all over you. You have just continued to hold on to um, 
just your shame from a past relationship. And here's what I think God wants to tell you this morning. Divorce is not the unforgivable sin. It's not. Where your sin has abounded, his grace has abounded all the more. Your sin is no match for the grace of the Savior. It is like a little pile of sand on the beach. And his grace is like a tidal wave. And some of you need to quit carrying around your guilt. You you act like you carrying around your guilt is this debt that you owe to God. Friends, there was one debt that was owed to God. It has been paid by Jesus Christ. He is a just God, and he would never demand two payments on the same debt. And some of you need to hand this over to him and receive his grace and know his love for you and know that he died for all sins, not just some small acceptable ones. Hand over your burden this morning and receive the goodness of your Savior. And then last, um, for those of you who are in a second or third marriage, what do you do? I mean, there was maybe faithlessness in in a previous marriage, and it it broke, and now you're in another marriage. What do you do? Your instructions in the marriage that you're in are the exact same as the rest of us. You be faithful in the marriage that you're in. You be faithful right there, and you guard that marriage. This is is what uh, Malachi instructs in verse 15 and 16. He says, so guard yourselves in your spirit, and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. For the man who does not love his wife but divorces her, says the Lord, the God of Israel, covers his garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. So guard yourselves in your spirit and do not be faithless. Now, first part of verse 16 is very difficult to interpret. There's no doubt some of your translations, um, if you're not reading out of the ESV, the extra spiritual version, um, (laughs) are going to be different than this one. This is just a small encouragement to make the switch. Um, So, very difficult to interpret the first part of verse 16. And after reading a bunch of commentaries this week, after getting a Hebrew lesson from Fowler and Cleland in my office last week, um, I think the ESV is the most accurate English translation of this verse. Here's, Here's what that means, if that's true. It means that the Bible does not say, I hate divorce, says the Lord. That being the case, there's no doubt how God feels about faithfulness in marriage. It is, doesn't change that. Um, if you're interested in the technicalities of it, I'll be writing a blog this week to explain it in full. Look for that on Tuesday if you care. Um, but I don't want to camp out there long, and here's why. Way more important than third-person singular Hebrew pronouns is actually applying this to our own marriages. Way more important than the technicalities here are making sure that we guard our marriages so that God is honored in them. So the command is to guard our marriages. Now, when I th- hear the word guard, I immediately go to sports, right? Think defense. Now, quick lesson on sports. For those of you who um, are not chosen by God and do not love sports, that's, okay. I don't know if that's not funny because it's just not funny or because people have like, you know, a bad feeling toward the word chosen in church, but it could be either. Anyway, let's pretend that never happened. In sports, there's two different camps. There's one camp that says defense wins championships, okay? There's another camp that says good offense is the best defense. 
And so here's what I want to do. I want to give us 10 ways that we can guard our marriages. Five of them are going to be defensive. They're going to be things that can protect our marriages. Five of them are going to be offensive, things that we can do to invest in our marriages. And let me say this. If you are not married, um, whether you're married or not, these things are going to be helpful for you to put into practice. And if marriage is coming in the future, they're great things for you to start practicing right now. So five defensive things, five offensive things to guard our marriage. The first thing is this, uh, work things out. Work things out. When there's conflict, address it. We do each other no favors by brushing things under the rug. Little things then start to become big things, right? Even if it means staying up late, address your conflict. When there's sin, confess it. Own it. Don't hide it. Confess it. So let me let you in on the sinfulness of my own heart, okay? Very, very sinful man. Um, This week, I'm ashamed to admit, I did just an average job as a husband. Average at best. And so Friday night, I'm praying, and God just shows me how lousy of a husband I've been all week as I'm preparing a sermon on marriage. How do you like that? I mean, that'll make you feel like crud. Um, So I just go to my wife, and I own all these different ways that I've failed her this week. And y'all, do you know what that did for my marriage? Just owning my own sin, immediately we connect again, right? Immediately we're back on the same page. Confess your sin to each other. God loves to bless that. Um, And then ladies, let me address you real quick. There's not another place for this to fit, but I feel like the Lord wanted me to say it. Don't nag. Don't nag. Um, Proverbs chapter, sorry, Um, Proverbs chapter 21 says this about a nagging wife, that it's better to live on the corner of a roof than it is with a nagging woman. Later in that same chapter, it's better to live in a desert than it is to live with a nagging wife. So be gracious. Both parties repent, work things out. That's the first thing. Second thing on defense, prioritize purity. Prioritize purity. Fellas, I am convinced that we cannot prioritize our purity intensely enough. Here's what that means. We've got to be super careful about what we watch. Ladies, you've got to be super careful about what you read. We've got to be super careful about how we interact with the opposite sex. We've got to guard our purity. On this issue... Always err on the side of being too careful. Because if we cross the line, here's what will happen. We will get sucked in like an undertow. And all of a sudden, we will look up and we'll be so far away from where we started. And we will wonder, how did I get here? Make sure you prioritize your purity. Second thing. Third thing on defense, set up accountability. Set up accountability. Have couples that get real with you that ask you tough questions. I got a couple guys who every week they get in my grill about marriage. How's your marriage? You lusting after anybody? Is your wife freezing in your shadow? I got a guy who asks me that every week. She freezing in your shadow? At home with the kids all the time, you're up, up front in front of people, you're starting to think you're important? Have people that tell you the truth about your marriage. And Ladies, if you got friends who criticize your husband or who get together and badmouth their husbands, stop talking to them about marriage. Just stop. 
Fellas, if you have buddies and you're more likely to fall into immorality with them than, than be encouraged toward godliness, I know it sounds severe, but find new buddies. Have accountability that pushes you toward Christ. Um, fourth thing. This one's going to sound so legalistic, but I'll explain. Um, be careful with social media. Be careful with social media. Here's why I say that. One in three divorces right now cites Facebook as the primary reason for the divorce. One in three. All you guys know this. Let me just remind you. Why would you ever search an old boyfriend or an old girlfriend on Facebook? It's just foolish, isn't it? You're in a covenant. Work on that covenant. And even just on a smaller level. Um, if social media makes it difficult for you to connect with your spouse at night, that you're more likely to be on Instagram or Facebook than having a meaningful conversation, ask some real questions to yourself about if it's a good idea. Um, and then fifth defensive thing, focus on your finances. Focus on your finances. One of the top things that we see that causes divorce is financial issues. So if you're young, fight to get out of debt. Have a budget, keep a budget. Combine your accounts if you need to. Talk about what you're spending. Focus on your finances. Okay, offense. What do we do to invest in our marriages? Five things, quickly. Um, the first is this. Spend time with God every day. If both parties are spending time with God every day, submitting to his rules, submitting to his leadership, you're going to agree on almost every issue. And, and where you're not, the Lord is going to love to bring unity. Spend time with God every day. And don't just do it separately. Do it together. If you can, pray together every day. Five minutes. I know for some of you fellas, this seems like a weird or scary thing. But just take a little step and see if God doesn't meet you in it. Um, second, talk. Try to have a meaningful conversation every day. And, and try to do it outside of what happened at work or what happened with the kids. Because here's what I think will happen. If we become good conversationalists with one another, this will help us when we have to make big decisions. It will help us when we transition from one stage of life to another. So take time to talk together. Take time to dream together. Third thing, affirm each other. Both privately and publicly, affirm each other. Um, this is something I think we do a really good job of when we're dating. And... Uh, some of us do a pretty lousy job once we get married. Um, what if every day we told our spouse something that we loved about them? What if every day we just identified something in them that we appreciate so much? When's the last time you were able to do that? When's the last time you were able to do that in front of other people? Affirming your spouse goes a long way. Uh, number four, Serve and surprise. Let me, let me explain what I mean by this. I've got a mentor who, um, every Monday, he writes down how he might serve his wife and how he might surprise his wife that week. And then he goes and does it. And here's what that means for him. It, it means that he has studied his wife. And so he knows what makes her tick. He knows what, what might mean a lot to her if he serves her in a certain way. And he knows how he might surprise her. Okay, so let me illustrate this. Um. If I come home today to uh, watch the Golden State Warriors basketball game, which I'm excited about, and, and I sit down in my chair, and Victoria has cleaned up the toys in the living room, I don't really care. 
I mean, like, she may have done that to honor me, but it just doesn't matter that much to me if there's toys in the living room. But if I come home today and I sit down in my chair and there are some nachos and a Coke Zero in front of my chair and she says, enjoy the game, I'm going to want to sing the doxology and then make out with her. That's what's going to happen. Okay? Now, if I made her nachos, she would not care that much. But if I cleaned... If I cleaned the uh, living room for her, she'd be wanting to make out with me. So you know my cleaning skills have gotten good. Um, (laughs) But serving and surprising your spouse each week is a a great way to be on offense in your marriage. And then last, uh, save the best for last, cultivate romance. Cultivate romance. Share with you guys one of the best verses in the Bible. 1 Corinthians chapter 7 says, Do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time that you may devote yourselves to prayer, but then come together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. What's this talking about? This is talking about exactly what you think it's talking about. Now, here's what that means for some of you guys. Some of you guys are getting passionate about biblical obedience, right? (laughs) You're thinking, honey, it's the S in spec. Submit to Scripture. You know, we got to do this. That, you're allowed to laugh about that in church, okay? Um, we need to be cultivating romance in our relationships. This is a good thing. This is a right thing, right? This is a gift from God. So go on dates. Take getaways. If you don't have money for this, then have a date after uh, the kids go down at your home. Just intentional time together. Save up money to get away. If there's anything worth investing in, it's our marriages. So 10 defensive things, or five offensive things, five defensive things um, that will help us be faithful spouses. Not all there is to improve our marriages, but I think if we do those things, we'll be closer to the mark. Friends, God has strong opinions when it comes to marriage. He wants us to choose faithful spouses. He wants us to be faithful spouses. And the reason he is so passionate about this is because his name and his reputation are at stake. Now, as we close, I know this is a tough topic. I know there are folks in here who are not married who want to be married. I know there are folks in here who are in difficult marriages right now. And I know there are folks in here who are much more godly than I am, and you look back, um, and it's difficult to look back on your relationship history. So here's how I want to close. I want us to close by taking our eyes off of ourselves and off of marriage and putting them on Jesus. And here's what I think he would want to say to us this morning. You are not defined by a past relationship. And you are not defined by a present relationship. And you are not defined by a future relationship. Whether you are single or married or divorced or remarried, if you are in Christ, then your identity is in the one who loved you and gave himself for you. You have a spouse who has been faithful in every way that you weren't, who left heaven to pursue you and who sacrificed everything for you. And here's what he wants to say to you this morning. He wants to say, I love you. He wants to say, I want you. He wants to say to you, I'm enough. And his opinion is the only opinion that matters. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the way that you have loved us through your son, Jesus. Um, We confess that our relationships have not been perfect. Some of of them have not even been good. Um, 
But Lord, we know that the gospel speaks to these relationships. And we know that because of your love for us, Jesus, you forgive us and you accept us and you want us. Uh, And so I thank you for the way that you love us. We want to come to you now. We want to enjoy you. We want to find delight in you more than anything or anyone else. So help us to do that now as we worship you. Pray in Christ's name. Amen. Y'all stand with us.